Hello, and how are you doing today? Uh, since I cannot hear your answer, I'm going to very much hope that you are doing beyond amazing, better than ever. Um, so welcome to Dream to Destination. Um, this episode's a continuation of last week's episode, more or less, uh, which was based off of my blog called Mexico Hidden Gems, The Five You Need to Know About. Now, in last week's episode, we talked about uh, five of Mexico's hidden gems, lesser known, lesser traveled destinations, and those included Bacalar, Guanajuato, Holbosch Island, and Sayulita. And also in that blog is Oaxaca, which we're going to talk about today. But I spent so much time in Oaxaca that I ended up sort of taking that off into its own direction. I have like a whole big long Oaxaca blog, which is called Traveling to Oaxaca. Here's everything you need to know. And uh, this is really probably everything you need to know. <laughs> From transportation to the famous food of Oaxaca to, of course, safety and Oaxaca City versus Oaxaca's beaches. Um, we are going to be covering it all today. So this blog, uh, the Traveling to Oaxaca blog, is going to be linked in the show notes as well as the Mexico Hidden Gems, the five you need to know about. We're going to link that one in the blog too. So are you planning or considering traveling to Oaxaca for vacation? If so, let me just tell you, you are a very smart person. <laughs> um, Oaxaca which is spelled O-A-X-A-C-A and pronounced Oaxaca, is truly one of Mexico's travel destination treasures. It's one not enough people have experienced, in my opinion. And, you know, going off of that this originally started as a blog about hidden gems, you know, I realized Oaxaca was more and more becoming the place on the list of hidden gems that people had heard of. But honestly, I still think nobody's really traveling there. Oaxaca is really popular with European tourists, but it's only, you know, it's, it's becoming more and more on American travelers' radars. Um, Oaxaca is very famous as the, you know, most, let's say, uh, historic or the celebration of Dia de los Muertos or Day of the Dead that's really very still connected to its indigenous roots. Um, Oaxaca's celebration of, of Dia de los Muertos is very famous and especially after the the Disney movie Coco which is about a little boy but it's set during Dia de los Muertos or Day of the Dead. So Oaxaca's festival is is probably the most popular. Mexico City does a big festival too, but uh, if you want the real deal cultural experience, you're going to have to head to Oaxaca for Dia de Muertos. So if Oaxaca is becoming somewhere on your travel radar or somewhere you're planning to travel to soon, again, you're super smart. <laughs> this place is, this is the place, this is the place to be. Um, and I do want to just kind of establish my own cred to talk about Oaxaca. So I uh, traveled solo in Mexico for over two years, but about four months of that time was spent in the state of Oaxaca. I, that time was divided up between like about a month in Oaxaca City and about three months on the beaches. So I was in Oaxaca City during Dia de los Muertos, Day of the Dead, in October, November 2018. Um, and then I did a bunch of time on the beach. I even did a 10-day silent meditation retreat <laughs> during my time in Oaxaca. So, yeah, you can, uh, there's so much to do here. You can party and then you can be quiet. <laughs> and so much more than even that. So... Oaxaca is my hands-down favorite state in Mexico. I've been to half the states in the country now, and uh, I mean, I guess I could change my mind when I make it to the other half, but for now, um, Oaxaca is, is, is my place of choice. Um, when I decided I was gonna be, live in Mexico full-time, I knew that I eventually wanted to put down my roots uh, firmly in Oaxaca. And I'm actually in the process of planning moving there 
as we as we record as we speak so why Oaxaca you may be wondering well for me Oaxaca in a word is it's magical it's I think Oaxaca is the Mexico that people are imagining in their head when they think about traveling to Mexico Um, this state has it all like amazing Mexican food Uh, this is actually one of like the foodie capitals of Mexico very rich indigenous history Uh, the Olmecs lived here the most ancient like civilization on the Americas continent Uh, the Aztecs the Zapotecs the Mixtecs there's very rich connection to the indigenous peoples of the land still Uh, there's gorgeous gorgeous beaches some of my favorite beaches are here in Oaxaca Uh, very colorful festivals pre-hispanic archaeological sites like everything's farm to table they make mezcal here it's actually like some say the birthplace of mezcal there's beautiful nature like forests and there's all kinds of microclimates um, colonial architecture colorful cities a rich like art artisan communities making all kinds of crafts and yeah and did i mention the food i did but let's just say that Oaxaca is, is one of the foodie capitals of Mexico for very, very good reason. And don't worry, we are going to talk about the food because this is not somewhere you're going to eat tacos and burritos. Um, Oaxaca kind of has its own cuisine. And I'm going to talk about it a little bit on here so you have, you have a little bit of a better understanding of, of what to eat there. And, you know, we're going to cover so much more stuff on everything you really need to know to plan a Oaxaca vacation or to just get a better understanding of the amazing, wonderful state that I am very obsessed with (laughs) called Oaxaca. So let's dive in with everybody's number one Mexico question. number one question about Oaxaca and Mexico in general is, is Oaxaca actually safe for, especially for solo female travelers, but for all travelers? So my short answer to this question, the is Mexico dangerous question is no, not any more dangerous than every other travel destination. So in all seriousness, of course, the answer to is Mexico safe is quite complex and actually has no definitive answer. But Oaxaca is generally known as one of the safest states in Mexico. But regardless, I followed, you know, some general safety protocol that I put in place that I used all over Mexico, which I believe led to my overall safety throughout my two plus years of solo travel in the country. And that was like listening to my intuition to avoid risky situations, not ever walking home alone at night, taking group tours when exploring some of the places outside of the city center, like that we're going to go over, uh, knowing some Spanish, and you know, not buying drugs off of a cartel or joining a cartel, because a lot of the violence that you see on the American mainstream news is directly related to cartels, which are a huge, huge, huge problem. And you should do everything in your power to avoid a cartel, which is actually pretty easy to do. I have managed to do it. So if you head to the blog, which is linked in the show notes, I actually have a pinnable infographic with about 30 or so words and phrases of very basic Spanish that everyone really should know when they're in Mexico or in a Spanish-speaking country. And you can pin that for later, you can use it to study, or you can even just save it as an image to your phone so that, you know, if you're off Wi-Fi, you're gonna have your necessary uh, Spanish just on hand, ready to go. Um, Also, I have a list of eight more general female travel safety tips that I think everyone should use. And they include like, of course, not keeping your phone in your back pocket, Uh, keeping a little bit of cash in your pocket so you don't have to pull out your entire wallet every single time for every single transaction, Um, and a bunch more tips. So uh, yeah, check out the blog. It's a long blog, and of course I knew I was not going to be able to go over every single thing to keep this podcast to a reasonable length. So some more general uh, Oaxaca info is... 
The very first thing you really need to consider when you're planning a Oaxaca trip is, is this a city trip or is this a beach trip? So before I ever went to Oaxaca, I was living in Mexico City and people would often bring up their Oaxaca trips and they used to talk about, oh, I was in the city for a little bit and then I went over to the beach and then I was, you know, I was here and I did this. And I, for me, in my head, the beach and the city were like one in the same, like this very well could have been a city on the beach. And admittedly, I could have done some homework on this, but I did not do homework on this. I just assumed, which is wrong. <laughs> but the city and the beach are actually quite far apart from one another. Um, Oaxaca is a pretty big state. It's a medium sized state, let's say. But there are not a lot of direct roads connecting places. So uh, driving is a little annoying. Um, just going to be straight up with that. And there are a couple ways to get from the city to the beach. You can fly, which it is a short flight, but it's not the cheapest flight. Or you can take a bus, but that could take up to 12 hours. So just, just know that um, right off the bat, you, is this a city trip or is this a beach trip? Because know that you're going to lose quite a bit of time traveling from city to beach. So uh, my advice is if you're staying four or less days, you should stick to either city or beach. If you're going to do, if you have like five full days or more time available, you know, I, you, you might want to consider dividing your time up. I'm what they call a slow traveler, which means I, I do one place at a time per trip. So, uh, yeah, that's just me but I know that that's not everyone's travel style. So yeah, four days or less, I would say stick to one place, five full days or more, you know, maybe you wanna start considering breaking it up. So when should you visit Oaxaca? Well, <clears throat> unlike many places on earth, Oaxaca City has a temperate climate, which basically means the city is, is awesome weather-wise, pretty much year-round. There's a short rainy season from July to September, but Oaxaca City is pretty much a desert climate, so it doesn't rain too, too much. Um, typical of a desert, you, you can expect hot days, hot, dry days, and cool, crisp nights. So for packing, think 85 degrees and sunny during the day and 60 or so at night. Um, the best times of year, weather-wise, combined with the fewest amount of tourists, are going to be... April, May, and September, November. Now, Dia de los Muertos is happening in that time, early, um, excuse me, late October, early November for Dia de Muertos. But, you know, that's an experience all in itself. You should go to that. <laughs> um, even if it's, you know, getting a little bit touristy. So, uh, that's that. The beaches however, are a totally different story. Um, the beaches of Oaxaca are beautiful. They're on the Pacific Ocean coast and the beaches are so cool. So if you're like looking at the ocean, then right behind you, you're, there's going to be mountains and cacti and, and it's, it's amazing. But in between the beach and the mountains is basically like a rainforesty jungle. So Oaxaca is super interesting. The beaches of Oaxaca are super interesting. But like many beaches and tropical places, the rainy season is no joke. Um, <laughs> the rainy season goes from April to October and it rains a lot. It's like torrential tropical storm, like ruin your vacation kind of rain. So I would say do not even go to the beaches from April to October for me. For me, I wouldn't do it. Um, but November to March is super gorgeous. Uh, it's pretty much not going to rain at all. It's totally dry. Actually, the whales are migrating like past the coast of Oaxaca. So you might see like whales jumping in and out of the water. I did a couple times, but I did live on the beach for, for a couple months. So I had some time to see that. And it was amazing. Um, so yeah, November to March for the beach. Uh, December is the peak month for tourism. But the Oaxacan coast is pretty chill. So... Um, the last things to keep in mind are Oaxaca City's big festivals. The Gelaguetza Festival, which is early to mid-July. The dates kind of fluctuate. Um, but this is uh, actually the American continent's biggest folkloric festival. And it brings together, you know, all the indigenous groups from all regions of Oaxaca to share their food, their textiles, their culture, dance, presentations, gift exchanges. It's a lot of 
it's a whole big to-do, but it's very colorful, very floral, like dancing and, you know, music and, you know, although it's overshadowed by Dia de los Muertos, the, the Gelaguetza festival is uh, actually Oaxaca's like most colorful celebratory festival. And for the spelling, it's G-U-E-L-A-G-U-E-T-Z-A, Gelaguetza. So, of course, the main draw of Oaxaca is the Dia de los Muertos, or Day of the Dead, which will be the last few days of October and the first few days of November. Um, Dia de los Muertos is the biggest, one of Mexico's biggest festivals, not just Oaxaca's, but all of Mexico. And different Mexican states, with their ties to different indigenous peoples, celebrate it very differently. But Oaxaca, with the native Zapotec and the Mixtec peoples, they are known as having the country's like most festive celebration of, of Dia de los Muertos. So, uh, yeah, this is a, a celebration of the dead. And for a few days, these few days in late October, early November, many Mexicans believe that the veil to the spirit world is lifted and our departed family members return Earthside to visit us for just a brief moment in time. And rather than a somber funerary event, Dia de los Muertos is a days-long celebration. It's a party. Um, family and friends will join together to create the elaborate ofrendas, the altars that you've probably seen in pictures with the, the yellowish-orange marigold flowers, candles, uh, incense, photos of their deceased loved ones, and then whatever food and drink that they would want to consume upon their Earthside arrival. So I attended in, in 2018, and... This is definitely a very hyped event, you know, and sometimes with these hyped events, you're like, is this going to live up to it? But it more than exceeded it. It was such an amazing experience. Um, I recommend people to go all the time. I will say that it, Oaxaca's a small town. Oaxaca's not a big town. And if you do want to go, the earlier the better to plan your lodging. Like, I mean, I'm not a fan of doing this, but like you might want to plan this like six months out just my tip so that is uh that is the intro to Oaxaca City let's talk about how in the world we get there so you might be wondering how to get to Oaxaca and it's pretty easy uh, Oaxaca has a couple airports including Oaxaca International Airport which will fly directly into Oaxaca City and you can fly there direct from Dallas-Fort Worth, Houston, LA, Chicago, so some of Mexico, some of the US's major cities. And if not, you can uh, catch a flight from like Tijuana, Mexico City, Guadalajara, Monterrey, the bigger cities in Mexico will connect into, um, into Oaxaca City. So there are also two airports on the beach, including Puerto Escondido International Airport and Bajías de Huatulco International Airport. Now, um, I'm really just going to kind of focus on Puerto Escondido for the remainder of this podcast because it is the most famous beach town in, um, in Oaxaca. But if you head to the blog, which is linked in the show notes, you're going to find even more information about um, the beaches around Huatulco, which include um, Huatulco and Masunte, Zipolite, San Agustinio, Puerto Angel, there's a bunch of uh, other little beach towns, but we're just going to focus on Puerto Escondido for the rest of the podcast. So how, how do you get from Mexico City to, Puerto, to uh, Oaxaca, excuse me, because that's a pretty popular route. Well, you can drive. It's about a six to seven hour drive. Uh, the only pro tips would be to take the toll roads or which are known as the Cuta, C-O-U-T-A roads in Mexico. Um, they're well maintained they're generally known as being safer and second tip is you are only really going to want to be on the roads during the daylight hours so if you are driving to be on the safe side you should plan to leave Mexico by 8 9 a.m. maybe the latest just to again be on the safe side uh, you can take a bus and I know to Americans the bus is weird but in Mexico it's it's probably the main mode of, of transportation um, Mexico's largest bus company is ADEO, and they have a first-class bus that will take you from Mexico City to 
Oaxaca City. It's about a seven, eight hour trip. Um, the first class buses are really nice. They're, it's like a big tour bus. Um, they're inexpensive, convenient. They always leave on time. The buses are like super on time in Mexico. <laughs> Um, and yeah, like I mentioned, the buses are super popular. You're going to have like a big, huge, comfy recliner style seat, a footrest, air conditioning, you know, plugs for the gadgets, the whole thing. Uh, I believe there's even an overnight bus if you would rather do that type of a thing. And then also you can take a plane. Um, domestic travel within Mexico is actually really inexpensive. Uh, I often will opt for the plane over the bus because... So, I mean, obviously, like, travel prices fluctuate, but let's just say, as a, as a guest, guesstimate, uh, the Mexico City to Oaxaca bus might be around 35 U.S., but the flight's usually, like, 60. You can get them as low as 60, and the bus is around eight hours, the flight's about 90 minutes, you know, your choice, but I, I the, the last time I did this trip, I flew, so I recommend the flight. So... What about this Oaxaca City to Puerto Escondido trip that I mentioned that people try to act like is it's a quick trip, but it's not a quick trip. So your options are driving your car, your personal rental car, take your colectivo or take the bus, or you can fly. So the drive in your personal car is about seven to eight hours. It's a really, really beautiful drive, but I will say that if you are someone prone to car sickness, you might not want to do this drive it is a windy, windy drive, so it's actually only a hundred miles or so. However, don't let that fool you. So a hundred miles on like U.S. highway might be about two hours or thereabouts, depending on how fast you drive. But this is this is a seven, eight hour eight hour drive. So what's what's up with that? Well, like I mentioned, you're this is like there's a lot of switchbacks. There's a lot of like curvy, curvy mountain roads. Um, some of these roads are unpaved, um, you know. It's a beautiful drive, but if you get car sick, you might not want to do it. Um, if you don't get car sick, it's a really unique experience, a fun experience. It's beautiful. Um, this is a part of Mexico so few are going to see. So, you know, your choice. Um, the one thing that you must keep in mind is that this it's not safe to drive on these roads at night, whereas with, like, Mex mentioning the Mexico City Drive, you know, it's like recommended to be off the roads at night. It's pretty much a you need to be off these roads at night. So uh, you'd probably want to leave by 8, 9 a.m. from Oaxaca City to make it to Puerto by sundown, just to even give yourself a little bit of a buffer. So your next option is to take a Colectivo, and you might be wondering, what is a Colectivo? It's basically a van. It's like a 12 to 15 passenger van. Think like a Dodge Sprinter kind of a van. Now, obviously the car sickness factor remains because you're in a car, but since you're not driving the Colectivo, you can sleep through this drive or at least keep your eyes closed. So full disclosure, I've never been car sick before, but I've talked to a lot of people who have done this drive and I have seen people car sick. <laughs> And I know that I see them all the time closing their eyes. Uh, I have also been told that this lessens the symptoms. So some pro tips for the Collectivo is if this does apply to you and you are someone who gets car sick, try to buy your tickets a couple days in advance. One to three days should be fine. Um, this way you can pick your seats. So car sick people, people prone to car sickness, say that the front seat is more comfortable. Um, and you also might want to schedule your trip for the off days of the week and the off times of the day. So like Wednesday, 6 a.m., you're probably only going to have a couple other people in the Colectivo versus Friday, 9 a.m. when everyone's trying to go to the beach. So there are a lot of companies doing this route that you can find in just downtown Oaxaca. Um, and you can expect to pay around 250 to 300 pesos, which is 12 to 15 U.S. So your last uh, land option is to take the bus and this is a again like a big tour bus uh the same the same things apply the big comfy seats uh the chargers for your phone or the plugs for your phone um however the con of the big bus is that it can take 11 to 12 hours versus the eight to nine of the collectivo 
So what, what gives? What's the giant uh, <laughs> discrepancy in time? Well, the big bus, this big bus cannot go around some of the curves of the mountain roads that the smaller Collectivo can. So the bus goes way out of the way to just go around the mountains entirely. So you're going to add as much as four hours to, um, to your trip. But, you know, you're adding comfort. And this bus route actually has an overnight option. So if that uh, applies to you, you're not going to get the best night of sleep, but, you know you're going overnight so you know there's pros and cons to that too and the bus uh with the company adeo mexico's biggest bus company will run you probably five to six hundred pesos or 25 to 30 usd so the last option the most convenient quickest easiest option is to take the flight it's also of course the most expensive i took the flight and i really loved it i went with a company called aerovega aerovega and uh, this is a small plane. This is like a 10-seater plane. Um, if you've never been in a one-pilot, one-propeller, like Cessna before, a little plane, make sure this option is comfortable for you. If you head to the blog, there's actually a YouTube video linked that might be helpful. Like someone actually chronicled the entire process of this flight from like airport check-in to boarding the plane to flying to landing, like the whole thing. It's a cool YouTube video. So yeah, I loved the flight personally. I'm not someone who's like super into daredevil-y like stuff, but you know, it was a short flight. I, I didn't feel uneasy or anything. Uh, I think the views are super cool. Like the overall experience is much, much different than being in a big plane. And you actually really kind of feel like you're flying. Like, so it's super cool. But what does the pleasure <laughs> of this convenient flight cost? Well, Aerotoucan flights are about $125 to $150. So obviously, $100 plus more dollars than the other two options. But again, you cannot beat the, the convenience of the flight. So that is, uh, that's how you get around. And now we are going to talk about wonderful, beautiful, gorgeous, my love, Oaxaca City. So you made it. You have arrived. <laughs> Your transportation is situated. And now you are in wonderful Oaxaca City. Um, so where is Oaxaca City? <laughs> it is located actually in the dead center of the state of Oaxaca. It is the cultural, historic, artistic, architectural hub of the state. Um, it kind of feels like you're like going back in time a little bit. Uh, the pace is much slower in Oaxaca. Life feels a lot more natural, like in the sense of like connected to the earth. Um, there's a ton of farms in this state, so it's all farm to table food. Uh, handcrafted arts is still a big thing. There's actually tons of, of artists who live in Oaxaca. Uh, the mezcal is produced in small batches and, you know, so in fact, Speaking of its connection to its indigenous natural um, vibes, 50% of Oaxacanos, people who live in Oaxaca, actually still identify with their indigenous ancestry and don't even really refer to themselves as Mexican. So the biggest uh, group would be the Zapotec Indians, and they'll actually say that they're Zapotec, they're not Mexican. So this is true of, of a lot of communities in Mexico, but as a whole, 20% of, of the rest of Mexico identifies this way and 50% of Oaxaca. So just to give you a little bit of perspective. Um, so where do you stay in Oaxaca? I, I always recommend for first time, uh, you would probably wanna stay in Oaxaca's downtown, Centro, the historic center. Uh, it's not a very big area, think like 40 square blocks. So for a first time, for convenience sake, you would probably want to stay there or as close to the Zocalo, Z-O-C-A-L-O. That's, um, you know, the, the dead center of the historic downtown city center. So staying in Centro again gives you the ease and convenience of being able to walk anywhere. Something you do want to keep in mind that there's no Uber in Oaxaca, this could change at any time, of course, but right now in early July, 2020, there's no Uber in Oaxaca. There is cabs, you can hail a cab, you, there's public transportation. But for me, I, I tend to Uber around Mexico. 
and I cannot do that in Oaxaca. <laughs> so yeah, uh, definitely for ease, you might want to just consider staying in Centro, Centro Histórico. And there's going to be everything there. Airbnbs, hotels, luxury hotels, boutique hotels, hostels, any accommodation, any budget. Um, two neighborhoods that are just kind of right outside of Centro, but a little, let's say a little more disconnected from the tourist aspect um, and like the tourist trap restaurants kind of places. One is Xochimilco, which is X-O-C-H-I-M-I-L-C-O, Xochimilco, which I think is an Aztec word. Um, it's located just north, north of Centro. Uh, it's the oldest and most historic neighborhood in Oaxaca and it's super cool it looks super cool and there's also this like 18th century aqueduct that runs along one of the streets like the entire length of one of the streets uh, it goes I don't know how far it goes like at least like 20 blocks I want to say there's a big huge long aqueduct that's just like amazing like how often do you see an aqueduct uh, so yeah you're just a little outside of this tourist center to the north, not too, too far. And then the other neighborhood, which I actually stayed in, is called Halatlaco, J-A-L-A-T-L-A-C-O. Um, this neighborhood's really cool, very safe, very artistic, hip, a lot of street art, a lot of colorful buildings. It's very photogenic. So even if you're not um, staying in this neighborhood, you know, you should walk over and check it out. It's uh, just not... It's not too far from Centro proper. It's actually like right on the outskirts of, of Centro. It's, uh, you know, just a little, little artsy neighborhood. Uh, my apartment, which I had a really cool little rooftop apartment, which was great for watching the, the sunset every day because Oaxaca City is pretty much a desert and deserts tend to have really gorgeous sunsets. So I ended up booking this apartment for a week, but then staying for a month because I really, really loved it there. And if you head to the blog, you'll see some of my sunset pictures from, from this rooftop apartment in Jalatlaco. So things to do once you're all settled in your lodging of choice. Um, Oaxaca has not one, but three UNESCO World Heritage Sites. So this designation, which is presented by the UN, United Nations Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organization, or UNESCO, is awarded to sites of outstanding universal value. So in total, Mexico has 35 such sites. And to make this very prestigious list, uh, the UNESCO Association has actually 10 criteria and each place has to you know, qualify for at least one. And one of the criteria, for example, is that it's a masterpiece of human creative genius. So. <laughs> Um, one of the UNESCO sites is actually a set of caves, which are not exactly easy to get to, but are super cool, but we're not going to talk about them here. The ones we are going to talk about are historic downtown Oaxaca. Oaxaca Centro is actually a UNESCO site, and Monte Alban, which is an uh, archaeological site. So Oaxaca Centro, it, even though it just might look like a colonial city from the outside, it does date back to 1529, so it's super old. Um, today it's really like a mix of old and new. So out of the hundreds and hundreds of sites uh, on UNESCO's World Heritage List, very few entire cities made the cut, but according to UNESCO, um, Oaxaca City retains its iconic architecture and the buildings uh, representative of cultural traditions of more than four centuries of art and history. So a lot really going on in the city that might seemingly just look like a city. So the next um, UNESCO site is Monte Alban, which is an archeological site. This site's only about 30 minutes outside of the city center. And you can take a tour or you could go on your own. Um, I think the advantage to the tour is having the guide really more so than being in the group. Because, I mean, essentially you're looking at like some rocks that you can climb on <laughs> until someone comes and explains to you just how significant those rocks are. So I recommend at the very least a guide and a tour group if that's something you want to explore. 
So this is somewhere you want to uh, arrive early to one, beat the crowds, and two, avoid the blazing afternoon sun. So if you've ever seen pictures of any of Mexico's archaeological sites, there's not really trees at, at a lot of them. Uh, so you're just like, right, you and the sun become one. And then also you're climbing up and down pyramids all day. So it's, it's a lot. Um, so yeah, definitely remember to wear your, your comfortable shoes, your hat, sunscreen, and bring your water bottle. And get there really early if you can. So, some uh, beautiful, historic, a couple more historic and, and natural wonders of Oaxaca. The first one is Yerve el Agua, which means the boiling water. Uh, this is arguably Oaxaca's most famous natural wonder. Um, definitely one of the most photographed things in, in Oaxaca is the, the mineral pools um, of Yerbe el Agua. But there's also the cascadas, which means waterfall, but these are not really actually waterfalls. They're like cliff faces that the minerals from the water, which are found in, these, in the mineral pools, have over time, you know, dripped over the edges of the cliffs and calcified and they've been sun bleached. So now there's like these white drips sort of, I mean, they're giant, but from afar, it looks like a waterfall, even though it is not a waterfall. So the, the mineral pools of Yerbe el Agua are totally safe to swim in. I did it and I'm still here to talk to you. Uh, the water can look kind of like a greeny color sometimes, although it's just like the high mineral content. Which, which affects the color, but totally safe. Um, again, there are companies that will take you up for the day, wait for you, take you back down to the city after. There's also companies that do multi kind of multi-site tours. Like, so you'll go to like four places in a day and this will always be amongst the places. I recommend doing Yerbe el Agua as its own trip, but um, you know, again, totally up to you. So you can do like, I think it's like a two and a half hour hike. I didn't do it, but you can hike down to, you know, like see the, the cascadas, the fake waterfalls, the cliff faces like up close, and then you can hike back up and then you can go in the mineral pools. So it can be like more of a day or a half day. Whereas the, the tours just kind of let you go for about an hour, which is not enough. I can assure you, I can assure you that. So, uh, yeah, if you are looking at pictures of this place, of Yerbe el Agua, on Insta, you're going to see the, of course, money shot with no people in them. And if you want that shot, you really do have to get there, like, at sunrise, because this place starts, starts filling up uh, more and more. I would say by, like, 10 a.m., it's officially crowded. So Oaxaca's, Oaxaca has a, a couple more archaeological sites. The second most important behind Monte Alban is called Mitla, which is, um, rather than like a group of pyramids, Mitla is a collection of buildings with like elaborate stone carvings in geometric designs. Um, it actually almost looks Middle Eastern, but um, a super cool place. It's like a whole city. It's like the ancient city of Mitla. It is one of the holiest sites for the Zapotec and Mixtec, uh, indigenous peoples of the Oaxaca area. It's, in fact, it was used in centuries past as a holy burial site. Um, the next natural wonder of Oaxaca is called El Tule, which refers to a tree, but then the town is also called El Tule, E-L-T-U-L-E. -E. So El Tule is a ginormous cypress tree on the grounds of like a gorgeous church in a tiny pueblo called Santa Maria del Tule is actually the name of the town. So they call the tree El Tule. So when I say ginormous, like this tree is actually a world record holder tree for ginormity. Um, <laughs> it's actually the biggest trunk diameter of any tree on earth at an astounding 46 feet. So for perspective, it would take like 30 or more people clasping hands to wrap around this tree. And scientists date it at about 2,000 years old. So also, uh, UNESCO has declared the tree a cultural heritage of humanity. So uh, some of those multi-site multi day trips will, will take you to see El Tule. The last place I want to tell you about is actually in Centro de Oaxaca, downtown Oaxaca, Oaxaca City, of course, and that is the uh, Oaxaca Botanical Garden. 
Um, it's located in the complex of Santo, uh, the Templo Santo Domingo, the Santo Domingo Temple. And it's a two and a half acre um, botanical garden. It's really beautiful. Oaxaca has a lot of microclimates and they have put like plants and cacti representing all the microclimates into this um, botanical garden. It's super beautiful and, and really impressive. Um, but due to the fragility of the overall ecosystem, you can only tour the garden via guided tour. But they offer them, I think, three or four times a week in English. And the cost is only 100 pesos or five USD. So if you head to the blog, you're, there's a link to where to, where to see where they, what days they offer the guided tours in English. So that wraps up things to do in Oaxaca. And we are now going to talk about really Oaxaca's most important thing, and that is, of course, the food. Okay, so Oaxacan food. Um, just so we're, we're clear what kind of level of, of food we're dealing with here. Um, in 2010, UNESCO, who we just talked about, declared Mexican food as a, an intangible cultural heritage of mankind. <laughs> so what does that actually mean? Uh, it means that Mexican food is one of mankind's treasures. <laughs> and personally, I actually could not agree more. So topping most foodie lists of uh, the, the places you must eat in Mexico is Oaxaca. So what does one exactly eat in the foodie capital of Mexico? Well, the answer is everything. Um, <laughs> you eat everything. You eat everything you can. Um, Oaxacan cuisine, like most Mexican cuisine, is actually super regional. But because Oaxaca is the capital of the state, you're going to get representation of all the different uh, cuisines of the entire state in the big city. That's just the perk of big city living. So... What you might not find here, or at least not much, is tacos and like burritos and quesadilla. Like it's not going to be the really Mexican food that you're maybe familiar with. But there's going to be definitely, you know, the staples of Mexico, Mexican cuisine like corn and chiles and, and, and that kind of thing. So not too unfamiliar, but you might not know the names of the stuff. So we're going to uh, we're going to talk about that. What, what are the names of some of these foods I've never heard of? Well, if you head to the blog, there's going to be a list. I think I have about 20 things on the list, uh, which I think is going to be too many to go over po in podcast form. But here's some of the, the big ones. Um, <clears throat> the first one is Oaxaca's most famous snack. <laughs> they are actually the infamous, famous or infamous, grasshoppers of Mexico and they're called chapulines. So chapulines are eaten in other cities of Mexico but they're like really part of the staple Oaxacan traditional Oaxacan diet. You're going to find vendors selling them in the streets, in the mercados, the markets. Um, chapulines are really really common in Oaxaca and some people put lime juice and hot sauce and maybe a little salt. Uh, some people just eat them straight up, but you're going to get them in a bag from a, you're going to get if you buy them from a vendor or in the mercado, they're going to give you a little bag depending on how much you want by kilo or and then you just eat them like popcorn, like a snack. Um, they're not I mean, I don't hate them. I don't hate them or love them. I don't really think they taste like anything. Actually, I think they kind of just add a crunchy texture. But you're also probably going to see them in a lot of restaurants. Like they put them in guacamole. That's a pretty famous way to eat chapulinas. I had them on a pizza once. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know if they really have a taste. I think they're more of a texture thing, at least for me. But I would definitely say that I identify as a pretty adventurous eater. So what's the main dishes after the grasshopper snack? We want some entrees. So the perhaps the most famous... Oaxacan food that actually is something you would recognize from the U.S. and that's mole. Now mole is both a marinade and a sauce. Uh, it's like a thick sauce. It's like a thick salsa, let's say. There are actually seven traditional types of mole. 
all with different combinations of spices and fruits and nuts and other stuff <laughs> but the most popular the one you're going to see on every restaurant menu is mole negro or black mole and it gets its color from chocolate so it's a little sweeter the second very famous oaxacan food that you're going to see probably on most menus but for me this like this is a street food you're going to definitely see this at night the traditional way to eat these is this is a nighttime food and they're cooked on the street over like tiny little charcoal grills and they are called tlayudas which is t-l-a-y-u-d-a-s tlayudas and this they are sometimes called mexican pizzas and they definitely do look like a pizza they're like served on a big giant tortilla that kind of looks like a big giant pizza dough um, but that's really the only similarity, I think. But yeah, they definitely do look like a pizza. So tlayudas are assembled on very large tortillas. And they're topped with beans, lettuce, tomatoes, onions, cheese. And they're cooked over like a charcoal grill. So they're going to have a smokier flavor. Now, you can add stuff like uh, tasajo, which is like a, a thin dried beef steak it's kind of like a cross between like a flank steak or a skirt steak and a beef jerky so it's really good uh, you can usually get that on, on a tlayuda or um, sausage you can get that on on there as well or you can just get it vegetarian style so what are some sweet foods well one this is going to sound weird but it's a chocolate and corn drink it is uh, a pre-Hispanic drink called tejate, which is T-E-J-A-T-E. -E. So do not let the seemingly uh, weird flavor combination of chocolate and corn freak you out because this, this drink is centuries old. So it has clearly stood the test of time. Um, in fact, it's often known as the bebida de los dioses, which means the drink of the gods. And tejate, is, it's kind of like a chocolate milk. It's served cold. Uh, there's no milk in it. But it's super refreshing, especially on like a hot desert Oaxacan day. So the last drink we're going to talk about is mezcal, which is um, like the quintessential Oaxacan <laughs> alcohol. Um, so mezcal is actually what is uh, the most commonly consumed alcoholic beverage along with beer, like in Mexico. So it's 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 definitely gaining popularity in the U.S. Um, although, you know, when we think Mexico alcohol, we think tequila. But in Mexico, it's mezcal. It's not tequila. They, you know, you can drink tequila, of course, but mezcal is really the drink. And <clears throat> in fact, tequila is a mezcal. It's just the mezcal that comes from the city of tequila, much like how... Um, Champagne is actually a sparkling wine, but it comes from the city of Champagne. So there's your, your little uh, very short and sweet <laughs> guide to mezcal. Um, for drinking mezcal, what I recommend is starting at a place called Mezcaloteca, which is it's like part mezcal school and part tasting room. So after your experience here, you're going to really understand mezcal and you're going to be able to take your knowledge to all subsequent mezcalerias, which are mezcal bars, in Oaxaca. So side note, reservations are required. You're going to be, again, like in a tasting room with someone explaining to you the ins and outs of mezcal and flavors and mezcal production. And So from there, you're going to want to head to El Rey de Matatlan, the king of Matatlan. This is a distillery. It's a little outside of downtown Oaxaca City, but not too far. But you'll see the whole mezcal farm-to-table process. You'll you'll see the, the agave plants growing and then how they're harvested and then how, you know, they're cooked, they're, you know, smoked and cooked underground, you know, then the how the liquid is distilled. And then, of course, you're going to taste. Um, you're going to have... Uh, the traditional mezcal, which is the first distillation, and then the second distillation, uh, which is like a creamier, it's not a clear, it's like a creamy color, and they're usually infused with different things like 
you know, nuts and hazelnuts and almonds. They're really, really good. It's a little sweeter and definitely a lot less strong, but it's like the mezcal liqueurs. So, uh, very, very cool. I'm not a big drinker, but it was like a really cool tour. I really enjoyed it. And yeah, clearly I really liked the mezcal liqueur. <laughs> so a couple, a couple bars, um, La Mezcalerita and Los Amantes Mezcaleria. I, I was like purposefully emphasizing those words because they are similar, but they're not spelled similar. So I wanted to make sure you had the, you got the picture that one is Mezcalerita and the other one is Los Amantes Mezcaleria. So, um, those are just like mezcal bars. They're mezcalerias. They're like kind of locals, places uh, that you'll find beer and, and cocktails, but this is for like sipping on straight mezcal. So mezcal is a sipped drink, although you're going to probably get it in a shot glass, but you sip it. And then there's um, some more upscale places if you want to get into like the mixology kind of thing with, with mezcal. There's Los Danzantes and Sabina Sabe. Um, both of those places are famous for their mezcal cocktails. So since the topic of food is, uh, is just way too big to get into in podcast form, if you head to the blog, you're going to find a Google map, which is going to have all of those mezcal places bookmarked, as well as 12 restaurants, eateries, street food places, mercados, a bunch of places to eat and um yeah that's uh that's food and drink in uh, oaxaca city that's the famous oaxaca city food and beverage so i hope you enjoyed it i hope you're not too hungry i kind of am now but <laughs> we are now going to leave the city and head to the beautiful beaches of oaxaca Okay, well, this is the last stop of the podcast Oaxaca tour. Um, we're going to end on the beaches of Oaxaca, but we're really only going to talk about Puerto Escondido in, in this podcast. But if you do head to the blog, which is linked in the show notes, you are going to learn about many other beaches. Um, Puerto Escondido, which means hidden port, actually is the most popular, most visited uh, beach town in Oaxaca. So I'm just going to stick to that one for the podcast to kind of try and keep it at a reasonable length. Um, Puerto Escondido, what, what do we do there? What's this place all about? Well, like I said, it's the most popular of Oaxaca's beach towns. And one of the reasons it's so popular is that it is a surfing paradise. Well, I don't know if it's a paradise, but... <laughs> It's one of the most famous big wave surf spots in the world is here on Playa Zicatela, Zicatela Beach. Um, but this is like, this is big wave surfing. This is actually called Mexican Pipeline, this wave. And it regularly reaches 10 feet in height, especially during the rainy season. That's when the waves are the biggest. Um, if it's not already obvious, uh, this is not a wave for beginner or intermediate surfers. <laughs> but you can watch the pros surf it. It's, uh, it's crazy. I think those people are crazy. I don't know what they're doing out there. I mean, I guess they love it, but like, oh my God, it's terrifying looking. Um, so for those new to surfing, there are smaller, more manageable waves at La Punta, Carasalillo Beach, Playa Marinero. There's some surf schools. Um, you know, surfing's big in, in Puerto. But what do you do if you don't surf? Well, there are tons of, of famous beaches La Punta and Carazalillo are, are two of the prettiest, in my opinion. I think Carazalillo is, is arguably the prettiest. It's not the easiest to get to, but you just walk, you have to walk down like a hundred and I think it's 150, 160 stairs to access this beach, uh, but it's worth it. It's gorgeous. Like this could easily be a postcard. Uh, the beach is really good for swimming. It, it's just like, there's like cacti and flowers and blue water and white sand like it's gorgeous down there but yeah then you got to walk back up the 160 steps so <laughs> just keep it in mind uh on the very opposite end of puerto escondido is la punta which is like 
a really cool boho chic kind of a beach towny vibe um it's a really really nice place to watch the sunset and then you can have a nice dinner there's kind of like a little strip of like a, a downtown with like all the the bars and the restaurants uh, it's pretty lively it's you know it's like an upscale hippie part of town where you can like go to a nice restaurant but you don't have to wear shoes to it so I stay I actually stayed in a really nice Airbnb there that's linked in the in the um in the blog if you head to that. So besides beaches and surfing, there's actually a lot of other stuff to do in Puerto Escondido, including the very adorable baby turtle release. Um and yeah, that's what it sounds like. You are releasing baby turtles back into the ocean. So this is definitely one of the most popular activities that you can do in Puerto. It takes place right at the sunset. Uh, there's the Vive Mar Baby Turtle Release Program at Playa Bacocho, which is, um, it's all the way on like the, the uh, western end of Puerto Escondido, Playa Bacocho. It's like a quieter beach, um, really pretty, not that great for swimming, but uh, pretty to look at and be at. And it's where they do the turtle release. So how do you do this turtle release? Well. You show up around 5 p.m. to put your name on a list because this actually ends up, I don't know if selling out's the right word, but it ends up like they cap the amount of participants and a lot of people really end up wanting to do this. And then if you come at the last minute, you can't do it. So, you know, get there as early as possible. The sunset's usually around 6.30, depending. And they, you know, you can start signing up at 5. So head there, do your sign up. And then uh, right as the sun's setting, you're like given little baby turtles. <laughs> um, they ask for a hundred peso, about a $5 per turtle donation. And all the proceeds obviously are benefiting their conservation efforts. So the money's going to a good cause. But yeah, you can get a couple baby turtles and send them on their, on their way to the ocean. It's super cool. There was a lot of, there was a lot of kids doing it, a lot of families with their kids, but then there were also like a lot of adults doing it too. And the turtles are just super, super adorable. Um, something else you can do when the sun goes down is the bioluminescent night swim. So about 10 miles north of Puerto Escondido is Laguna Manialtepec, Manialtepec Lagoon. Um, so each night after the sun goes down, the water like lights up with sparkling bioluminescent plankton. It looks like you're staring at space with like twinkly stars because this is like a white bioluminescence. This isn't the blue color. Uh, that's I believe that's a different animal. Like this is the uh, I think there's like I don't know. There's something else, and then there's the plankton. This is the plankton bioluminescence, and it's white in color, but it's sparkling white, and it's it's gorgeous. Um, so this phenomenon occurs nightly to some extent, but the effect is way, way, way more visible during the new moon. So that's when we actually cannot see the moon in the sky. So the moonlight is not reflecting off the water. So the meaning that the effect of the bioluminescent plankton is that much brighter. Um, you need to have some kind of tour booked for this because you go out into the center of the lagoon by boat. So you don't just really show up to the lagoon. Uh, you go out on the boat. So there's a ton of tour operators that you can book with located along the very popular uh, Avenida del Moro, Moro Avenue in Puerto Escondido. The tour will probably run you about 300 pesos, I think I paid, which is 15 US. So that is, uh, that's the quick rundown of Puerto Escondido. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a beach town. You're in a beach town. You're going to hang out at beaches. <laughs> You're going to drink on the beach, eat on the beach, be on the beach, live on the beach, love the beach. Um, you can swim in most of the beaches. It is the Pacific Ocean, our most temperamental ocean. <laughs> so if there's a beach you can't swim in, usually the next beach over you can. But yeah, Puerto's, there's a lot of good restaurants. Um, it's a town. It's like a proper town. It's not just like some beach shacks. So there's going to be all kinds of levels of, um, you know, from like luxury hotels down to hostels and everything in between. Um, but from here, there are other Mexican beach towns in uh, Oaxaca that I, I wish 
I wish there was time to talk about, but I think it's uh, it's going to be too much for one podcast. So maybe in a future episode, but some of the, the other really famous ones are Huatulco, Masunte, San Agustinio, Zipolite, which actually has Mexico's only legal nude beach, uh, Puerto Angel, and uh, those are the other big ones. They're only maybe two hours or so away from Puerto Escondido. But if you head to the blog, again, linked in the show notes, you are going to uh, get some info on those, on those beaches as well. So I hope you have a, a, a much better understanding of Oaxaca now. Um, as you can see, it's, there's, there's a lot to do in Oaxaca. There's a lot to see, there's a lot to eat. Um, it's my favorite state. I am uh, gonna once again tell the universe that I'm, I'm moving there, universe, and you're helping me. So, um, yeah, I hope you enjoyed it. And please do head to the blog that this episode is based on because you're going to get such a better understanding of everything we just talked about. So for now, thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope you tune in to the next one. So for now, adios chicas, nos vemos. That means goodbye and I will see you soon. Thanks again for tuning into this week's episode of the Dream to Destination podcast. I hope you continue tuning in as I release new episodes each Monday. If you prefer to be notified when they come out, just head to your podcast provider of choice and hit that subscribe button. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, please also consider leaving a written review and a star rating. These two things help push us up in the algorithm so that other travelers can find us. Speaking of other travelers, if you know anyone who would love this podcast, please also share it with them. And then let's all be friends over on the socials. I'm on Insta, Facebook, and Pinterest at Travel Mexico Solo and on Twitter at Travel Mex Solo. Thanks again for tuning in, and I really hope this will not be our last conversation. Mm-hmm.